0: I felt like everybody around me knew how to believe in God, and I just, I didn't know.
1: There's something deeper than what I've been fed and what I've believed, and there's some nuance to this that we're not catching.
2: Most of the time, I felt alone in in a crowd of people who held their religious ideas with a lot of certainty, and I never did.
3: Deconstruct. To reduce something to its constituent parts in order to reinterpret it. This week we're talking about deconstructing Christianity. We're talking about what deconstruction is, what it looks like, what it feels like. And we're going to hear from five different people who so bravely stepped up to share their deconstruction stories. This is deep, this is intimate, and you don't wanna miss it. So here it comes. This is The Reckless Pursuit, a podcast crafted and created to dive deep into what it looks like to be a follower of Christ in a modern-day world. We span topics across the board to seek out truth and to gain a deeper understanding of one another, to find common ground and answers to life's hardest questions.
4: We all have a story and a struggle, a calling and a conviction. Together, let's take a hard look at ourselves and effort to view what others see so we can be the best reflection of Christ possible i'm cody and i'm elaine
3: now let's get reckless hey everyone welcome to the reckless pursuit this is episode 33 and today we are talking about a very very deep very personal topic to a lot of people and that is deconstructing faith or just simply known as deconstruction. And if you don't know what deconstruction is, I'm going to give you just a general nutshell of what that means. Deconstruction is whenever a person who identifies, and talking specifically about the Christian faith, a person who identifies as a Christian uh, realizes that there is more to God, or possibly less to God, than they originally believed and they go through a season sometimes and I say season very loosely sometimes it can take a few months sometimes it can take years or an entire lifetime where they are trying to reevaluate what they believe why they believe it and they come to a place uh many times come to a place of reconstruction where they rebuild their faith. Uh, And it typically looks different, and it looks refined. Um, But I think that deconstruction, for one, is something that's not talked about in church at all, because so often people who deconstruct are seen as black sheep who are trying to pull away from God and are rebels who either need to be shunned by the church or cast out or pulled out of leadership or thrown down or uh, just turned away because they're leading people astray. And in reality, those are the people that are asking questions. They're asking the hard questions. And I think sometimes people are scared to ask questions because in reality, I think a lot of times we all have questions We're just too afraid of being cast out or judged or shunned to ask them ourselves. So today we have five different people who have very boldly come forward to share their stories and their opinions on some different topics. And we're just going to hear from all of those people today. And we're going to try to keep our dialogue short. We're going to try to keep our dialogue out of the way as best possible just because I want to give people an opportunity to share what it's like to actually completely ask God, who are you? Why are you? And is what I've been taught the truth? Because I think that is one of the most bold and true expressions of faith. Before we get into listening to their interviews, though, I want to just give a quick couple of announcements. As you go through this, if you have your own stories, if you have your own conversations, uh, this podcast is meant to keep going, and there's a Facebook community for that. We're looking for active members who want to join in and keep conversation moving. That's our desire is to give people a voice and an outlet where they feel safe. And so if you're needing that, The link for that is in the show notes below. And real quick, uh, Elaine has some statistics about deconstruction and what leads to deconstruction often, just for those of you who may not know what it is, just to have a bit more of a background of what we're talking about.
4: So according to sociologists, um, about 43 44% it kind of, goes up and down a couple, uh, percentages, but basically about 40% of people go through a major faith transition at some point in their life. This isn't even necessarily Christianity. This is any faith, any religion, um, like 40% is a big number of people going through this major life event. Um, however, those, um, people who were raised in conservative structures, such as Southern Baptists, are among the least likely to experience a faith transition. But whenever people who are uh, raised in a conservative structure, whenever they do go through deconstruction, it's one of the most dramatic faith changes.
3: Can we pause for just a second? I want to talk about that. So, I mean, we're talking about conservative Christianity. We're talking about more, like, because you have— and this is a term you're probably going to hear a couple of times, you have more of the, the more charismatic or mystical side uh, of Christianity, which is more of the charismatic Pentecostal Assembly of God type churches. And then you have more of the conservative, um, you know, more of your Southern Baptist type. And I think it's interesting that Southern Baptists, or not just, uh, there's others, but it, the conservative Christianity goes through less of a deconstruction but when they do it's more dramatic because if you think about it a lot of those uh teachings are more practical teachings so there's less of the spirituality involved not saying they're not spiritual but there's less of the spirituality involved in that and it's more practicalities it's easier for the thinker the mind to get a hold of that it's not as as deep as a uh, of a heart thing and so like uh it's it's easier to kind of like to just kind of keep believing what you i have already believed. But when you do have that heart moment, that like something starts pulling at you and something needs to change, it's dramatic because there's an even bigger world you're opened up to. And so I just think that's an interesting Well,
4: an and interesting there's a thing. tendency for um, those who grew up in very conservative religious backgrounds, when they do have that faith transition, oftentimes they leave it behind completely and don't ever right. come back to it. Yeah. Um, people of a more moderate theological background tend to make a transition from a mainline denomination to universalism or spiritualism or a different mainline product of denomination. Um, Fear comes out of how high the fence is around your theological community. And so the more rigid your faith structure, the more drastic the leap of faith required to start asking questions around your beliefs. Right. So basically, there's a three-step process in deconstruction. There's construction, which is your beliefs growing up of whatever faith, religion, whatever, um, and things that you um, have known to be true your entire life. Um, oftentimes, um, a big event happens, not always, but a lot of times a big event happens in your life that makes you start questioning things. You start seeing things. Firsthand, hand, maybe in the church or um, religious leaders making huge mistakes that they're speaking against, whatever, even something just on a spiritual, personal level um, is kind of what leads to deconstruction. And that just deconstruction is basically just questioning those beliefs that you had. Um, and just you have doubts and um, you just begin to think like what if all the things that I knew growing up and in my lifetime aren't actually the things that are the truth like aren't like everything that I believe is that really the only things that are out there or the things that I've grown to know are they even true at all and then reconstruction is basically building around the first two steps in either walking away completely from whatever you had learned or reconstructing what you had believed into a different belief system. Basically, the reconstruction is a balance of construction of what you originally knew and deconstruction and forming your own beliefs. And that can go back to the very beginning of your construction of what you always knew, somewhat Um, In between. Yeah, in between or just completely walking away and going to something else.
3: And so maybe this has just never happened to you. Maybe you're one of the uh, 57% of people who have never questioned their faith uh, in any degree or allowed their questions to change what they believe. What does this podcast have anything to do with you? There are people around you who have honest questions, who don't want the pre-fed answer because they've got that their whole life. They don't want the church-baked answer because it sounds robotic and just there's no life in it. They're looking for life-giving, experience-based truth. And they have realized that that's something that they have to seek out themselves. It can't be taught to them. It has to be it has to be uh, sought after and and just received. I know I personally have been through a couple times in my life where I have deconstructed uh to some extent and reconstructed my beliefs. I think I'm in a season now where I'm I'm restructuring my beliefs. And I think that it's honestly a it's a cyclical thing. It never stops. It's it's always a back and forth because that's how we grow as individuals. And Uh, Talking from a completely Christian perspective, we serve a God that's big enough to encompass our questions and encompass our pursuit of him. So deconstruction is vulnerable and real. And I just want you to open your heart up to these people who bravely share their stories today as we go forth and listen. We're going to start off with a woman by the name of Heather. Here's her story.
2: My deconstruction story is kind of a slow story. Um, I've been slowly deconstructing most of my adult life. And most of the time, I just didn't have a word for it. I was raised in a fundamentalist church, the Church of Christ. But I was fortunate in that my mom was not from that tradition. So she always encouraged us kids to question everything, question the dogmas that were being thrown at us. And that was a real blessing. And that questioning really has carried throughout my life. I left the Church of Christ, I moved into a more evangelical tradition, but even there, I never really drank the Kool-Aid. And I've always been the kind of person that was looking for new ideas and tearing apart old ideas. And most of the time, I felt alone in, in a crowd of people who held their religious ideas with a lot of certainty, and I never did. So I don't see deconstruction as a phase in my life that I've recently entered or that I expect to ever leave. I don't think deconstruction is an event that we go through so that we can reconstruct in a new and better way. For me, deconstruction is just a word to describe the way that Jesus called us to live, which is being born again every day, not just being born again one time and then you're done with it, or taking up your cross daily which is a metaphor for death, right? Death of ideas, death of ways of life, death of beliefs. And that, to me, is a daily thing, not something that we just do once, we set it back down, and we're done. So deconstruction is like leaving a life of walking on solid ground and moving into a life of walking on water. And I think that there's tons and tons of metaphors In that Jesus gives us about this and and telling us that this is what deconstruction is, that it's not an event, it's a a way of life, Um, a living and continuous uncertainty. So in that sense, my deconstruction story is kind of a never-ending story.
3: I love what Heather was saying there at the end about how deconstruction is a lot like dying to yourself daily and just kind of – Demystifying what deconstruction is to so many people and using it in terms that we so often hear. I think it's just like a a beautiful metaphor for realizing that even Jesus was constantly questioning the law of the land, questioning the whys and the ifs and the hows.
4: The one thing that I really loved was um, how Heather said that deconstructing wasn't a phase or event in her life but it's an ongoing process and that goes back to you know dying to yourself daily but
3: yeah what i was just saying about being cyclical yeah,
4: yeah but deconstructing daily like it's a way of life like you are constantly questioning and forming new belief systems every single day
3: yeah and that's even on a, on a biological level yeah you know if you look at um cognitive psychology that's it's it's uh they're learning scientifically learning what that and is.
4: unlearning relearning
3: right Next, we're going to hear from April.
5: My deconstruction story doesn't have any vivid moment in time. I've lost and found my faith many times over the years. I was raised by parents who were done with the hypocrisy of the church before I was born. But I was fortunate to have a mother who is very spiritual and very open-minded. I only sought out organized religion because of the feelings of unworthiness that I had from well-meaning Baptist and evangelical children. I was given my first Bible by a born-again Christian after the death of a close friend when I was 19, and I suppose I was born again, but that faith wasn't really strong enough to hold up to some well-written books by atheists and skeptics. I started to develop my own beliefs, but I still wasn't comfortable talking about them and I still sought the acceptance from organized religion. So I went through the rite of Christian initiation in the Catholic Church because my husband is Catholic and I didn't want my children to have that feeling of unworthiness. I enjoy the meditative quality of mass and I still enjoy that, but like most Catholics, I don't believe in everything they teach and I have my own personal beliefs. And when the Catholic Church was all I had, I gained and lost my faith to varying degrees over the years. I didn't find a faith that could actually withstand intellectual questioning until I found A Course in Miracles at a very difficult point in my life. It's lessons that help you change the way you look at the world and how you perceive. The course is essentially Christian mysticism and I've studied all types of mysticism and I find Eastern religions very in line with the course and with mysticism. So my faith is not in the idea that I believe in the right ideas. My faith is in a way of being in the world that Christ was teaching. And I think that's often misunderstood and misinterpreted. Of course, miracles is not a theology, and I don't believe in it. It was just a tool to help me understand the teachings of Christ. And that has given me a faith that is sustainable.
4: What I found very interesting about what April said was that she had lost and found her faith multiple times to varying degrees over her life. Right. And um, from the same article I was reading earlier, there was actually a quote from Science Mike, a fellow podcaster. Yeah,
3: from the Liturgist podcast. Yeah.
4: And um, he had actually said how he believes everyone should be an atheist at some point in their life. And whether, like, you agree or disagree with that, um, I think that kind of aligns with what she was saying, is, like, there have been multiple times in her life where she knew – or she thought she knew, she didn't know, like she was questioning, she had faith, she didn't have faith, Um, how she was saying how like she had been given a Bible by a born-again Christian, but even then her faith wasn't strong then, and how that goes back to even what Heather was saying about deconstructing daily, and like going through that cycle over and over again. Next, let's take a listen to Joshua's story.
1: Hi, my name is Joshua Bellis. My deconstruction story essentially starts with a Christian home. You know, I was, I grew up always um, instructed in an evangelical tradition, um, was part of kind of a non-denominational Protestant church that, um, you know, was interesting and and young and hip. um, And... You know as part of that for most of my upbringing and gradually as time went on i just started to unravel a lot of the trains of thinking that i had grown up with and starting to feel like maybe i didn't fall necessarily cleanly into the beliefs um and as this was happening i was feeling just a lot of pressure from um from the environment um i went to a christian college ended up feeling a lot of pressure there, um, having like required chapel services that I was forced to attend to, um, which were not always in a, a vein of thinking that I was really that comfortable with. And as time went on, I just really started to feel um, the roots kind of like tear a little bit for me. And I started to just feel very alone. Um, and I didn't really know what to do with that. And I I mostly just didn't tell anybody, Um, but I was in a relationship at the time with someone who was extremely involved in uh, my home church, and so I, you know, I was kind of there wasn't really a flight option, and so I just found myself really suppressed and having a lot of tension and and a lot of feelings of cynicism and anger that were rising up and i felt bad i felt guilty for having those but they were there um and i didn't know what to do with those and so essentially this really catalyzed me walking out um for a time walking out of my faith and walking out of kind of a general sense of christianity Um, essentially what i what I just kind of was arriving at was that the the nature of God and the nature of love and the nature of all of those things must have a something there's something deeper than what I've been fed and what I've believed, and there's some nuance to this that we're not catching or we're, like you know, there's just this feeling that we weren't we weren't getting it. Um, and so I just I didn't want to settle, so I kind of. I retracted myself from the label, I guess, um, and was trying to live in a way that would evaluate that in my everyday life. And as time went on, I ended up finding myself continue to be attracted to um, Christian spirituality of some sort, although now it's a lot more mysticism and a lot more of the, um, the general principles of Christianity in a, lot more, um, in a lot more of that kind of sense in the mystics tradition. And so, yeah, but it's just been a, it's been a difficult road of just kind of feeling very um, alone in a lot of these stances or, or thought processes.
3: So I know you've probably heard that word thrown around a couple of times, Christian mysticism, the mystics tradition. Let me demystify Christian mysticism for just a moment. Because if you've grown up in any traditional church, and you're in traditional church, like a lot of us uh, are, or have been, that's probably a very spooky term, and you know that Elaine and I love spooky terms. Uh, We love ourselves some New Age Christianity terminology, or some modern Christian terminology. But Christian mysticism is actually quite old, and if you've ever grown up in a charismatic church of any kind, You've experienced some of it. It is the belief that God does, in fact, still communicate with his people, that miracles do very much still happen, that God and science are constantly working together and proving each other. It's It can go very deep. It can go into experimental parts of the Bible that I understand are probably very uncomfortable, maybe a bit outside of traditional Christianity, but... A lot of what we believe in our modern churches and modern time has its roots in Christian mysticism. And you may be saying here right now, Cody, you're absolutely out of your mind. Like, if you're, especially if you're part of the 57 percenters, uh, you could be saying that I'm completely out of my mind and that this is just a bunch of hogwash and that uh, I'm trying to brainwash people. But let me just take a minute and point out to you that. Our good friend C.S. Lewis was a Christian mystic.
4: He even wrote a book on miracles that you just read. (laughs) I did. It was
3: a great book, too. Uh, Most Pentecostal churches are rooted in Christian mysticism. Most assembly of God or any charismatic movement does have its roots in Christian mysticism. If you believe God can talk to you in dreams and visions, if you believe in healing, if you believe in miracles, signs, and wonders. If you like Bethel Church, uh, yeah, you have some, some roots tied to Christian mysticism, too. So before we go casting stones, let's just take a minute to remember that just because the word mysticism sounds mystic, it's not so different at all. Joshua's story made me realize something very interesting, and I've seen this in a lot of the stories I've heard about deconstruction. And it's kind of a recurring theme here as well too. And that's love and understanding God less as just this outside being that floats and hovers over uh, his creation and lives off in the distance, but more as an emotion and an all-encompassing love. And maybe we need to take note of that as a faith, as a church, Maybe that's something we really need to focus in on, that God is love and he abides in our emotion. Uh, I've read some people's um, beliefs on Facebook talking about how there's just no such thing as Christianity uh, full of emotion. You have to get your emotions out of the way. And while I understand their heart behind the message, I I just don't believe that at all. I think that God is wrapped up completely in our emotions because they're created by him. I think that our frustrations, our anger, our love, our joy, our happiness, our sorrow, all of those things show us a beautiful aspect of God. And I think that we need to bring our heart back to that center, get it out of left field, out of right field, and bring it back to the center of realizing that in every situation and so much of deconstruction or so many people who go into maybe what would be called reconstruction seem to realize this, is that in everything, there's an aspect of God to be found. And in everything, we have to look for him in that, including our emotions and and just that theme that God is love. We talk about it, but do we really understand what it means when we say God is love?
4: Something that um, I have noticed within listening to these few clips is that um, there's a lot of pressure yeah. and anger and loneliness and doubt and fear from not of who, not necessarily of who Jesus is or who God is or the relational love, but of the religious um, practices and the do- doctrination of, you know, organized religion as a whole, that has like made people feel like they even have to deconstruct in the first place.
3: Right. That's very true. With that, let's go ahead and listen to Sarah's deconstruction
6: story.
0: So my name is Sarah. I am 20, and I go to uh, the University of Texas in Austin. Um, and my, my deconstruction story, I think, is a lot less of... I, I think a lot of the deconstruction stories I hear are very... Like, you become very indoctrinated into this particular faith, and then something happens, and you're like, oh, none of this is real, and, um, yeah, and for me, it was, it was a lot more of, my, I, I grew up Catholic, I was never really encouraged to have a personal relationship with the Lord, it was just, it was very focused on, like, ritual, and, um, and, and the Catholic faith, and the history of the Catholic faith, and, um, yeah, so I, I went to Catholic, uh, elementary, middle school, and first two years of high school, and then after my, um, sophomore year I moved to Doha Qatar in the Middle East and um and the place that I was at so I, I lived in a in a Muslim country in a in a high school where most people didn't talk about God and and so I just kinda didn't care. Um I I still considered myself a Catholic but I didn't go to mass um at that point. I was just kind of in a space where I just, I wasn't, I wasn't focused on, on God. God wasn't something that I was particularly, particularly interested in. And then I went to college after I graduated. I went to the university of Texas at Arlington for my first year in college. And, um, I kept running into these people from the same ministry Um, and then I started attending the ministry, you know, the gatherings and the Bible studies. And I, I, I remember being in them and thinking, and this was before I, I had ever, I had ever admitted that I didn't really believe what I said that I believed. Um, but I would be in these Bible studies and I remember thinking like, wow, these people are so dumb and feeling horrible about saying that, but really believing that, these people saying these ridiculous things that they just had no idea, you know, how crazy they sounded. Um, and then at that point I was like, okay, I don't actually believe this. And I kind of need to figure out what to do with that. So I like, I read books, I read Blue Like Jazz and, um, Finding On the Waves and all the typical (laughs) deconstruction books. And, um, and I kind of moved on from there i um and it was it was it was really hard. there was a lot of apathy and complacency at times, and then a lot of just anger and frustration and sadness that I felt like everybody around me knew how to believe in God, and I just i didn't know um but the place that I decided to be at is kind of where I'm still at now, where I was like you know i I really have a desire to land at a place where I believe in the Lord and I have a relationship with, with the living Jesus that I think is, is alive. And I, and I, I, I think that Christianity is true. Um, and so now there, there's a, there's a song that I, well, it's from, from a poem, but it's a song that I love a lot. Um, it's called Oh Love. And there's a line in it that says, I chase the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. And that's kind of how I'm approaching Christianity now is I'm, I'm, Chasing it, and I deeply hope that it's true. Um, but if it's not, then I'm wrong, and that's all I that's all I can say. I think
3: it's very interesting how Sarah was talking about how she grew up in a church environment, went to a Catholic school, um, but actively didn't really have that relationship with God. And I think it's an interesting perspective because a lot of times just because you're in a certain culture doesn't mean that you agree with it and a lot of times you just you learn what to say you learn how to act you learn those things to get by in the area you're at and it just becomes a way of life but there's no true depth to that and that's what Sarah was saying is like she had to come to a place where she had to ask herself what she believed and to have an actual relationship to try to come to know the Jesus that she believes is a living, uh, living savior. I I think that's beautiful. I also think it's interesting how, um, oftentimes being exposed to another culture. And anyway, if you have anything you want to add to this, cause I think you had something on this too, but I think it's interesting how being exposed to another religion or another culture oftentimes influences people to deconstruct. And what I mean by that is, like, I personally believe, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, uh, that every major religion is a major religion because it holds some truthful aspect of God. Talking about meditation, meditation, with um, the Buddhists and just different aspects of worship and things like that. They, they may not have truth uh, in the way we see it as Christians. They may not know the living Savior Jesus necessarily, but they hold some kind of principle that relates to God and they have some understanding of God that oftentimes is is a deeper understanding than we as Christians even have.
4: Uh, so um am very interested in the fact of how she said that she moved to the Middle East. And then um, whenever she was starting college, she was hanging out with these uh, church groups and I guess having Bible studies or something. Right. And um, campus ministry. Yeah, and so she was thinking like these people are dumb, but not in a sense of like they're just spewing all this information, but she went to a different country. She saw how other people um, had developed their religion and coming back to the school that she was going to was seeing like, you know, these people in these Bible studies um, were saying like different things. And she's like, actually, that's not true at all because I've seen this at this place. And um, that skewed like thinking that they have a skewed version of the truth because she's seen firsthand how other people live their lives.
3: Right. And and many of these people, in this, and I, I'm just assuming here, by you know, all intents and purposes, but I'm sure a lot of these people are just repeating what they've heard. I mean, it's just it's very,
4: very ritualistic,
3: right? And and when you're sitting there in that situation, you're like, wow, I'm desiring something deeper, and it may not even be that they don't have it going on. They don't, they, you know, may not even be that Sarah saw them as dumb in the sense of like they're dumb people who don't know anything. It's it's that she's desiring something deeper than what they're offering in this time. Not that they're incapable of going there or they haven't already been there in their life, but she's just longing for something deeper in her life right now than just the shallow day-to-day conversation of we'll look at what the Bible says.
4: Well, and I think that kind of goes back to the ignorance of not knowing other people's religion and like other people's practices. Yeah. And her feeling like, oh, wow, these people are dumb because they don't know what they're talking about. Well, they haven't been exposed to other religions in other countries, most likely.
3: Right. I mean, it's that whole question of like, why do we believe what we believe you know like have we accepted what we believe is right because we're scared of going to hell you know do we believe what we believe because it's what we've been taught our whole life or is it because we've had an experience that has led us to make that decision for ourselves?
4: and so up next we have jordan here's his story
6: hi my name is jordan marati i'm 23 happily dating and i live in new jersey I work as a music director at the Glenrock campus of Emergence Church in northern New Jersey. We've been affectionately, or not so affectionately, known as the Loud Church, and we've been uh, playing very indie rock type tracks, driving drums, loud guitars, screamy vocals, really decent mixes. There's a very high standard for the bands that play with us. I have a bachelor's degree in ministry leadership and counseling from Lee University in Tennessee, and an associate's degree in audio engineering from Full Sail in Florida. I worked in live sound for four years and I fell in love with writing and engineering music in the studio environment. I started an indie rock band called The Dependents and we have a record out now called The Great Iconoclast. It's a record that chronicles the last five years of my deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, learning to live with doubt, realizing the value and the humility of questioning the things we think we know, living in the tension and finding my own faith. I grew up in a charismatic environment, believing that God is exactly as we see him, and anyone who sees him differently is wrong. I remember often hearing testimonies of people saying, I was raised Catholic, but then I was saved. That really turns me off now, but then it made perfect sense to me. Doubt was pretty shunned, and questions were not very welcomed. This hurt a lot of people, but I always felt a sense of security within the little tribe of my church. For the longest time, I didn't feel the need to question, but that probably was because my faith wasn't very real to me yet. My parents were always very involved, and I subsequently began to feel at home there. Eventually, I did start questioning things, being exposed to the rest of the beliefs in the world, and not disagreeing with their results. I fell really in love with apologetics, just like in general, not even explicitly Christian apologetics. And in late high school, I academically stripped everything from my faith away, except for belief in a supremely divine, infinite creator. And even that, I got to through pretty logical and philosophical questions. I didn't assume it was personal. I didn't assume it was uh, of the Christian scriptures. And I started doing textual studies of those and other religious texts, and I found my way eventually, After this is very abridged, but I found my way eventually to the person of Jesus by my own study. When I started acknowledging my doubts, I began to find truth that I could place my confidence in. My parents were glad to see me still trust Jesus, but to me, I'm fairly certain it was the first real time I had. Who knows those kind of mysteries? I'm not about to question them. I believe that doubt was sinful and shameful and something to be prayed away, and today I think that couldn't be further from the truth. My doubts are what allowed me to come to study the scripture. My doubts are what caused me to strip everything away from my faith, and Jesus was all that's left, and it made me much more like him. It increased my humility my empathy and my love for my enemies. Man, (laughs) I've still got a long way to go, though.
3: First and foremost, uh, as a musician myself and someone who is uh, trying to to learn to mix well. Um, I just want to say that Jordan's band, uh, The Dependents, sounds absolutely solid, and I look forward to diving into their lyrics and their the meaning behind their songs more, but definitely go check them out if you have a moment. They're on iTunes for sure, because I looked them up right before we started recording this episode. I thought it was interesting about how... Jordan said that doubt was shunned in his original uh, place of worship, in his original church, and I think it's very commonly, um, I think it's commonly that way, but I don't think churches even realize they do it. I just think it's so often we're obsessed with believing we have all the absolutes, being that we as people want to be right. We desire to have knowledge and to be uh, right. I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's really one of our original sins is wanting more knowledge, wanting to be right, wanting to kind of have it all together and have the answers. And I think coming to that place of realizing I have doubts and I don't have all the answers is, is so vitally important to all of us in our walk. Because if we don't do that, I fear that we would get to the end of the road and realize that we never had a relationship to begin with, and it was just all based on, on works, and it was all based on someone else's experiences. And who are we as Christians to live vicariously through the eyes of another? We're going to break this episode up into two different parts. This week was all about hearing stories and and gaining an understanding and a new perspective of the forty three percent. Those of us who have questioned and have questions and are still trying to figure things out. On next week's episode, we're going to hear from the same voices that you heard from today, and they're going to answer a couple questions for us. They're going to answer what made them realize. Uh, that what they thought they believed may not be all there is to actually believe. And they're going to answer how God has changed to them now versus who he was to them then. Elaine and I are going to share a little bit of our experiences and some things that we've deconstructed and reconstructed on. And we're just going to be honest and open and we're going to listen. And if anything you get from all of this, just let it be to listen and to be there. To not isolate and alienate those you love. And to remember that just because someone asks doesn't mean they're rebelling. It probably means they just want to know. They want to hear your heart. Not just what you've been taught to say, but what you actually want to say. As always, everyone, you can find us at TheRecklessPursuit.com. We have a weekly blog that comes out every Wednesday following uh, our Monday release episode, and it will be about deconstruction, of course, this week. Elaine so beautifully crafts those for us. Uh, Of course, keep an open eye, because part two is coming out next Monday, and we look forward to hearing from Heather, April, Joshua, Sarah, and Jordan again. If you have questions, if you have things you need to get off your chest or want to talk about, please go down there and click that button. It takes you to the Reckless community. It's our private Facebook group, and we're inviting you in. We want people to have a place to have a conversation and feel safe. I do want to give a shout out to the Liturgist podcast. Uh, We've referenced some of their statistics they're definitely worth a listen, especially if you're in a season of your life where you have questions. Real quick, if you haven't done so, there's a little subscribe button on your page. And if you want to, you know, receive weekly updates of when these episodes come out, all you have to do is tap on it or click it. It's a great way to stay up to date. We love you guys, and as always, be brave, be bold, and be reckless. We'll talk soon. Lot of what we believe in our modern churches and modern time has its roots, uh, has no roost, has its roots in.